Welcome to the Cornerstone Corner, our weekly message podcast. At Cornerstone, we are enthusiastic about all ages, having an authentic relationship with Jesus, others, and our community. Join us as we open the Bible and hear God's word for us today. Um, but today, today's a special day in my household. Um, you see, today is my incredible wife's, wife's, not wives, wife's, <laughs> man, third service. That's all, you guys are getting a loose cannon today. Um, my, my incredible wife, Sarah, it's her birthday today. Um, I'll let her know you all said that. I'll say every one of you. Um, but last night, we got to celebrate uh, her birthday. We went out to dinner with, with my parents and siblings and their spouses and kids and all that stuff, and big family dinner. We went out to ice cream afterwards at Vanilla Bean. Anyone been to Vanilla Bean? Yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if it'd be the best place, but it was pretty good. Um, but I decided I was going to get uh, cookies and cream, which, is, which was, I was a big fan of, cookies and cream. But as I'm standing there, uh, well, you should know if you haven't met me yet, I have a 14-month-old son, Sarah and I do, and so I'm standing there getting at the counter, getting my ice cream, holding Kyler uh, here, and uh, at the corner of my eye, as I was getting my ice cream, I see out of the corner of my eye, my brother, who wants to be the cool uncle, start to feed my son, 14-month-old son, ice cream. He gets a nice big scoop out of his... uh, his bowl, bring him, and I don't know if, I don't think Kyler's ever had ice cream before, at least under my watch, I don't, he hasn't, um, but I see Drew, my brother, trying to be the cool uncle, giving Kyler ice cream, and Kyler's reaction was actually hilarious, because like out of the corner of my eye, I see it, and I'm like, what are you, do-? and I see Kyler's face, and I don't know if it was the cold or what it was, but he was like, ugh, this is gross, um, but it was cookie dough ice cream, so I mean, it's not, it's not bad, um, but after a little bit, like he recovered, and then he's like, he kept pointing to it, he wanted more, wanted more, and so, uh, which, that's great. Um, so Drew, again, trying to be the cool uncle, gave him another spoonful, and it's still the same reaction of like, oh, this isn't, this isn't good. Um, I mean, at this point, I had already decided, okay, it's going to be a crazy night, Kyler's going to be up till three in the morning um, because of the sugar, so I had kind of given in, my wife, Sarah, she had kind of given in, she had gotten a bowl of uh, uh, birthday cake ice cream. And so she had birthday cake ice cream. She's like, okay, maybe he doesn't like the cookie dough. Maybe he, he likes birthday cake. He takes after his mom, that type of thing. So she gives him a nice spoonful of birthday cake ice cream. And his face, literally, he t- his first taste, as soon as it hit his tongue, it just lit up. He loved it. Like, I don't know if it was the sprinkles, if it was the, the, the frosting, what it was, but this birthday cake ice cream was incredible. He loved it. And so the rest of the night, like, Sarah couldn't, like, she, we didn't want to keep giving him ice cream, but he kept wanting it. He'd start crying and stuff like that. So Sarah had to basically go eat outside by herself while, <laughs> for her birthday, um, just so Kyler would leave her alone. Um, but last night, so it reminded me that uh, we all have favorites, um, and even like we, there's a cultural push toward like having favorites, a favorite uh, movie, favorite music, favorite sports team, the Detroit Lions of Michigan, right? Um, we have favorite food, we have favorite ice cream, we have favorite water bottle brands, even though they all taste the same, it's all water, right? Um, there's this cultural push toward having favorites, and that's okay, I mean, it's a thing. Um, but the reality is, is it becomes, there you go. But the reality is it becomes an issue when this cultural push of having favorite things or favorite items becomes having favorite people or valuing certain people more than other people or that type of thing. And uh, that's when it becomes dangerous. 
And throughout the past few weeks and the, the few weeks that are coming up, we're in this series called Get It Out, where we're learning from internally locked up things. And we're looking at things, uh, passages of scripture throughout the Bible, where people have these internally locked up things that they don't recognize or they don't get out, and it leads to destruction. And today, what we're going to be looking at is the internally locked up thing of preferential treatment. Preferential treatment, which I've been struggling to say all morning. So the Ryan translation for preferential treatment is plain favorites. Plain favorites. Also, I have a whiteboard here because... Uh, we have an incredible uh, media guy back there, Deacon, who's running the slides back here. But some of you know that I kind of go all over the place sometimes in my message, and it's not fair to him to expect him to make a slide in the middle of my message and put it up there. So I have this whiteboard in case I go wonky. Um, in case you go wonky, we're talking about plain favorites. And before I dive in, I'm gonna before I dive in, I'm gonna pray. And before uh, that, I'd like to talk about what plain favorites. What I'm actually talking about here, because. When I prepare a message, I like to argue with myself about certain points, and I was arguing with myself, playing favorites, is this necessarily wrong? Is this what's destructive? And the reality is, is I think, yes, it is if we understand what we're talking about when we say playing favorites. When I say playing favorites, what I'm not talking about is trust. I'm not talking about trust. There should be different levels of trust that we have on people. We should trust people that are more trustworthy and trust people less that are less trustworthy, that type of thing. I'm not talking about trust when I'm talking about playing favorites. I'm also not talking about responsibility. I'm not talking about the responsibilities that we have. Like, like as a dad, like I'm responsible to prioritize my son a little more than prioritize some of my friendships or relationships with you guys. Like, that's, that's a responsibility. The trust, respect, responsibility, these are more about the relationships that we have, the proximity that we have to people, that type of thing. I'm not talking about that when it comes to playing favorites. What I'm talking about when I say playing favorites is one word, value. How much do we value an, an individual? How much do we value a person? And what I'm hoping that we're going to discover over the next few minutes is this through this topic, through this message, is that we're going to discover that when we place value more or less on certain people based on certain things, we find ourselves in very destructive situations. It's a vulnerability that I hope that we can get out so we can step into the life that God has for us. So before I dive into the main passage, uh, I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll hop in there. So if you would please bow your heads with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, just thank you so much for this, for this group that's here this morning. I don't know why they all came this morning. Um, they might have had every excuse in the world not to come, but yet they're here, God. And I just pray that whatever your purpose is for us all being here, that we would just step into that. God, I pray that, uh, that you would move in a way this morning that we can't even try to take credit for it. I pray that your words speak and they're not mine. I pray that you give us ears and discernment and wisdom and understanding to listen so that it's not ours. God, and ultimately, I pray that you open our hearts to reveal to us what it is that you want us to do so that when we walk out of these doors this morning, we are walking out of these doors different than when we came in. God, I pray that this time honors and glorifies you. It's in your wonderful name we pray. Amen. 
Amen. So we are going to be diving into the book of Genesis. It's the first book of the Bible. If you have a Bible with you, or if you want a paper Bible with you, there's some paper Bibles spread throughout the auditorium. If you're more tech savvy, unlike myself, you can go to sermons.church on a browser on your device, look at Cornerstone Church, and you can find the message notes as well as the uh, passages of scripture that way as well. But we're going to be in the book of Genesis, Genesis 27. And what we're going to do is we are going to be looking at a family where playing favorites and value led to a lot of destruction in their family. And it's the family of Isaac and Rebekah and their two sons, Jacob and Esau. And Isaac was uh, the son of a guy named Abraham, who some of you might know, who's like a forefather of the Old Testament, the, the, the early movement in the Bible. Isaac was, was a son of Abraham, and he married Rebekah, and they had twin boys, Esau, who was the oldest. Esau was kind of like the manly man, the, the, the hairy guy, the hunter, that type of thing. And his younger brother, who was a twin, but just he was the younger one, Jacob, who was a bit of a mama's boy. Um, and what we're going to see in this story, this moment, is that favoritism, preferential treatment between the parents and their kids is going to lead to a whole lot of destruction. And at this point in their life, Isaac is getting kind of old. Um, and so that's where we're going to pick up. In Genesis 27, we'll start in verse 1, and we will we'll learn about some preferential treatment here. This is what it reads. It says, When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country and hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food that I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to Esau. When Esau left the, uh, for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son, Jacob, look, I overheard your father saying to your brother Esau, bring me some game, prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now son, this is Rebecca talking to Jacob. Listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so that I can prepare some tasty food for your father, for you to give to your father, just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. And so what happens? Jacob, because Rebecca gives him this plan, Jacob goes out, gets these two goats, his mom makes him a nice meal uh, for him to give to his dad, and he, he tricks his dad. He gets in this nice hairy his coat that smells like his brother, feels like his brother, that type of thing. He knows his dad can't see. He brings this food, acts like his brother, tries to sound like his brother, and it works. And Isaac is going to give Jacob his blessing. And what we need to recognize, because this is something that's different in our culture than it was in that culture, a blessing isn't just something that you just give away. A blessing is a, is a big deal. A, this type of blessing is basically like, who's going to be running the family when I die? Who's going to be the man of the house overseeing their entire powerful family? Who is going to be that? That's the type of blessing that we're talking about here. It's not something that Isaac would just give away left and right. And he's doing it under, the, under God, so he knows that he can't just, it's, it's a one-time thing. And this is the blessing that he gives, that Isaac gives to Jacob. He's thinking he's talking to Esau. It's a, we'll pick up in verse 27. 
It says, ah, the smell of my son is like a smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. That's quite a blessing. <laughs> That's quite a, hey, this is what's going to happen to you. Nations will serve you. Your brothers will bow down to you. Jacob's got to be feeling pretty good about himself because he just tricked his dad into giving him something that's really, really great. But what happens, Esau gets back from hunting because, you know, hunting takes a little longer than just going out to the field and getting a couple goats. Gets back from hunting, prepares his meal, goes, finds his dad. Says, like, what are you, what are you doing? You already gave, I already blessed you. And they realize that they've been tricked. And Jacob had tricked them. And this, I mean, they are distraught. Esau is upset. Isaac is upset. He's distraught. He's not sure what to do. And, and Esau's like, Dad, just give me another, give me the same blessing. Give it to me. Like, but we had talked about it. Like, culturally, that, that's not a thing. You couldn't do. It's a one-time deal. So Isaac decides he's going to give his son Esau basically a secondary blessing. And this is what it says in verse 39. This is the blessing that Isaac now gives to Esau. Your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword. You will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. Quite a difference in those two blessings. One, nations will serve you. Your brothers will bow down to you. Everything's going to be great. And the other one, Esau, you're going to serve your brother until you literally can't take it anymore. And this, rightfully so probably, makes Esau pretty mad. He gets upset and he starts planning revenge and he's going to start going. He's going to take, his, take care of his brother. And so Rebecca hears Esau's plan, sees his frustration, tells Jacob, you just need to leave, go, get out of here, that type of thing. And so what happens is, is because of playing favorites, because of the value that Rebecca had of, of Jacob over Esau, what ends up happening is this family is destroyed. They're They're scattered. And as Isaac gives this blessing, as he's about to pass away, the one that he gives the blessing to ends up having to run away for his own safety. And it all starts from this idea of playing favorites. And every time I've heard a, a pastor speak on this passage before, or a devotional on this particular passage, it's always been a parenting message, a parenting sermon. And uh, but those are great. I'm only a parent of one kid, so it's hard for me to give you real life examples of playing favorites. So I was trying to explore, okay, God, what are you really wanting to say to us to, today? And I, there's, a, there's a parenting aspect, and I'll talk about that in a second. But more so, I think there's a deeper root of playing favorites that goes beyond just parenting. It goes beyond just dad to son or mom to, to daughter or son. Or, it goes from person to person, um, playing favorites, placing value on people. But it's impossible not to recognize that these are parents and their kids. And I think we all know people where parents play favorites or something like that. And we can see the destruction. There's studies that are done that show the destruction of the kids who have parents that play favorites. You see the, the rebellious child, the one that's not the favorite, the rebellious child that's looking for parental figures in all the wrong places because they can't get it from their parents because they're not as loved or valued as their sibling. We see that destruction. But we also see the destruction of the favorite kid. The one who, growing up, gets everything that they want. But 
then what happens? They enter into the real world, and we all know that in the real world, you don't get everything that you want, and their whole perception on life comes crumbling down because they're raised as the favorite child with this false narrative of what the world should treat them like. And we've seen that destruction. And even as we continue on in this story, this idea of playing favorites and having a favorite child actually becomes a generational curse that, be, that, that carries on with this family. See, because Jacob then becomes a dad. And he has sons, but he has a favorite son. And his favorite son, Joseph, gets to sit back at home while his brothers are out in the field doing all the labor. His favorite son, Joseph, gets a nice coat from his dad of many colors and all this stuff. And his favorite son, Joseph, gets sold into slavery by his brothers. It's a generational curse that started with Jacob being the favorite, and then he ends up having a favorite kid. It's destructive, and we all know this. As parents, it is, it is destructive. But when we get to the roots of value and playing favorites, even more so than just parents to kids, but we think people to people, we think of valuing others more than other people or less than other people, we know it's destructive. Playing favorites, preferential treatment is destructive because the roots are rotten. That's your first fill in the blank. The roots are rotten. And when I think of preferential treatment, playing favorites, this type of thing, this value, I think of four main points that are really destructive that it comes from. The first one, I'm going I'm to write all these down, and then we'll dive into each one. The first one is insecurity. I spelled this wrong last time, so hopefully I got it right this time. Insecurity. The second root is prejudice. The third, selfishness. And the fourth, unforgiveness. The roots of playing favorites are rotten. The place in our heart that it comes from where we place certain values on certain people and less values on other people come from a rotten place in our heart. Insecurity. Pastor Matt actually just last week preached on insecurity. If you weren't here, I encourage you to go to our YouTube page, go to our website, and check it out because I, I, I can't do it justice the way he did it last week. I actually cut it out of my message. Um, but I thought it's still important to know. Insecurity. Sometimes our own shortcomings, the way that we view ourselves, our own insecurities, cause us to place different values on different people. When I was thinking through this story in Genesis of Rebecca, maybe it was her insecurity of not being able to relate to her son Esau because he was this hunter, this, this hairy, grizzly guy. She wasn't able to relate to him, so she felt insecure about their relationship, and so she valued Jacob more. It's a place of insecurity. Again, I encourage you to go, Pastor Matt did a great job of talking about insecurity, but it's important. That's one of the roots. The second root, prejudice, prejudgment. Looking at the outside of a person and placing certain value on them based on that outside. And deep down, we all know the destruction that prejudice can have, that prejudgment can have amongst a family, that it can have amongst a community, that it can have amongst, amongst a country. Prejudice is destructive. We all know that. We all know that it's wrong to place value on someone based on the color of their skin. Amen. We all know that it's wrong to place value on someone based on their gender. Yes. We all know that it's wrong to value someone less because they found themselves in economic hardships. Amen. Just like it's, it's wrong to value someone more because they're rich. Yep. 
We know this stuff, but the reality is deep down, some of our value system in our own heart comes from a place of prejudice, of prejudgment, of these preconceived notions that we have in our heads, looking at the outside of someone and valuing them based on that. We all know it's wrong, but we need to be aware of it in our own heart. The third is selfishness. Selfishness. This is, I'm going to place a value on you based on what you can get me. It's a return on investment. The value I place on you is strictly based on how far you can get me, where you can get me, what you can get me. It's the idea of going into work early because you value your boss's time more, but when your boss is out on vacation, you come in late because you don't value your coworker's time as much. It's selfish. It's only thinking about ourselves. And the fourth is Unforgiveness. And I think unforgiveness actually plagues us more than we know. Um, and honestly, being vulnerable here, getting it out, I struggle with unforgiveness a whole lot. And as I was preparing this week, I was just praying, God, help me forgive, help me forgive, help me forgive, because the reality is I didn't want to be a hypocrite up here telling you on stage how dangerous unforgiveness is and still have a whole bunch of unforgiveness in my own heart. And so just pastor to you, like I'm still struggling with this. But the reality is, is unforgiveness, this idea that, hey, based on someone's past, based on your past experience with this person, I'm going to place value on them is wrong. That's a good way to build trust. Yeah, if someone lets you down or someone starts gossiping a bunch, it's probably good not to trust that person as much. That's a great way to build trust, but value is not what it's about. We shouldn't value someone any less because they have a messy past. It's unforgiveness. And the reality about unforgiveness is unforgiveness is like holding a hot coal in our hand. We think we're hurting that person that hurt us, but the reality is that hot coal is just burning ourselves. I think it's plaguing us more than we even know. Insecurity, prejudice, selfishness, unforgiveness, the roots of playing favorites, the roots of preferential treatment are rotten. And deep down, we know individually each one of those, we don't want that in our heart. But the reality is, is when we look at our value system of our own heart, we can see that some of the roots of those are in there as well. And so when I think of like, okay, how, how, how do we respond? Because this is kind of a down message. Like, yeah, okay, I have insecurity in my heart and that's causing me to judge people in a wrong way. If we look at the life of Jesus, we can see that he valued every single person the same. And yeah, there were different people that he trusted a little more, that he had closer proximity with, different relationship with, and you could see the different ways that he treated people, but the value that Jesus had for everyone was the same. In fact, in Romans, in the book of Romans, it says God doesn't, show favoritism. God does not show favoritism. The Amplified version of this verse, I like the Amplified version, it makes me feel smarter. For God shows no partiality, no arbitrary favoritism. With him, one person is not more important than another. God does not show favoritism. He does not value anyone more or less than another. And throughout Jesus' life, you see this. In John 6, John 6, we think about the idea of insecurity causing you to value someone more or less. In John 6, Jesus gets done preaching one of his most powerful, impactful messages. And the reason it was powerful and impactful is because most of the people that were there listening to him left because they said it would be too hard to follow. He had gained a big, a bunch of people were coming to him. He had been working miracles, doing all these cool things, healing people. People were following him. They liked his teaching. And the reality is, is at the end of John 6, most of the people that were following him leave. And he could have let his insecurity take over and value people in a different way. But he didn't. 
Even his disciples that stuck around when he said, don't you guys want to leave too? And they said, where are we going to go, Jesus? We're following you. He could have made him value them more than others, but you watch, you read the rest of the book, you see the rest of it. He still loves the people that left him. He still values the people that left him. Insecurity would have led to, I'm going to value people differently. When I think of prejudice, prejudging, judging people based on external circumstances, I think of John 4, where Jesus has an encounter with a Samaritan woman. And uh, in this time, Jews and Samaritans did not get along. There was racial divide, cultural divide. The, the Samaritan people, actually, their ancestors were a mixture of Jews and Gentiles, which was a big no-no in that time. So the only thing that the Jewish people and the Gentile people could agree on was that Samaritans were bad and were not to be messed with or dealt with or talked to. But Jesus at this well, at a, at a watering well, getting a, not, not even having a bucket, didn't even need a drink. He's just sitting at this well, this Samaritan woman, which again, we're, with Jesus' high standing as a rabbi, as a teacher in the Jewish culture, I mean, Samaritan and woman, he was not supposed to be dealing with this woman. Prejudice would have said he did not value her. But what he does is he shows her how much he values her, so much so that as she walks up to the well, she walks up to the well ashamed of her past But when she's done talking with Jesus and recognizes how much he values her, she runs back into the very town she came from and tells everybody about Jesus, bringing them with her so that they meet him. And what happens is, is because Jesus doesn't have this prejudice value system and he's able to to, to love and value people that are different than him, from different cultures than him, that whole Samaritan city had their entire eternity changed because of that encounter, because his value system didn't have a prejudice. When I think of selfishness, you cannot find a selfish act. I was not able to find a selfish act that Jesus did when he was walking this earth, and so it was hard to narrow it down to one, but one in particular. Mark 10, uh, Jesus meets this guy who's, who's a young, rich ruler, is how the Bible describes him. He's a guy who has a lot of wealth. He's in really good standing within the Jewish culture. He's really good at following the Jewish law. And so he's talking to Jesus, and they're going through these laws that, that this guy's following, and he goes, well, his final question is, well, Jesus, what do I need to do to get into heaven, basically, to the kingdom of God? And Jesus, if he was thinking selfishly, selfish value, what he probably could have done is he said, you know, this guy's pretty wealthy. Uh, we, we could use a new wagon or so to get, get, get to the next town. We could use a nice night. We could, use, we could sleep in a really nice hotel, maybe use a really nice meal. This guy, I wouldn't put him out too much. He's rich. He's wealthy. Let me just make sure that I value him a little higher because he's loaded. He's got deep pockets. But that's not what Jesus did. In fact, he did the opposite. He told this guy, because he, because he valued him so much, he wasn't going to see him for the, for the wealth that he had. That's, because he valued him so much, he wasn't going to look at him selfishly. Because he valued him so much, he told him, go ahead, sell all your possessions, give all the earnings to the poor, and come follow me. He valued him so much that he knew that the life he was chasing after wasn't worth anything. Then unforgiveness. Hmm. When we think about unforgiveness, I think about Jesus at the cross, and, I, and we talked about this when we were doing communion earlier. But as Jesus was, was, was wrongfully arrested, as he was beaten, mocked, ridiculed, carrying a cross to his impeding death, hanging up on a cross with nails through his wrists and his feet, a crown of thorns on his head so that the blood was dripping into his eyes, probably suffocating on his own blood. He mustered up to his strength 
to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The very people that were making fun of him, that put a sign above his head that said, King of the Jews, mocking everything that he stood for for his 33 years of life. And he mustered up the strength to say, Father, forgive them. We see this in Luke 21. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then look at this next sentence. This is what the people, that Jesus is saying, God, forgive these people. And this is what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Jesus is saying, forgive them. And they weren't even looking for forgiveness. They were looking for who's going to get Jesus the shirt. They were playing games. They were mocking him. And Jesus didn't value them any less. He valued them so much that as he's hanging up there on the cross, he said, I'm going to use every ounce of energy that I can get out of my human body to say, Father, forgive them. So how did Jesus do this? How was he able to live a life where he did not play favorites, where he didn't let insecurity impact the way that he valued people, where he didn't let prejudice impact the way that he valued or loved people, where he didn't let the selfishness or unforgiveness impact the way that he valued people? How did Jesus do that? How can we do this? Because the reality is, I think as you're hearing this, I hope you want to be like this too. You want to look at someone and value them the same as Jesus would. And the answer is, if we want to stop playing favorites, we need to start seeing Imago Dei. Imago Dei, that's the Latin phrase for the image of God. Genesis 127 says, so God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In the image of God. Imago Dei. In the image of God, he created the person sitting next to you. The image of God, he created your friend. The image of God, he created your coworker. In the image of God, he created your parents. In the image of God, he created your nieces, your nephews, your sons, your daughters. In the image of God, he created your cousins. In the image of God, he created the person who cut you off on the way to church this morning. It's in the image of God. Imago Dei. If we want to start seeing people the way that Jesus sees people, we need to start seeing the Jesus in people. If we want to start seeing people the way that God created us to see people, we need to start seeing the God in people because the reality is, is that each and every one of us was created in the image of God, Imago Dei. No matter your past, no matter your beliefs, no matter their political standing, no matter their wealth, no matter where they come from, they were created in the image of God. If we want to start seeing people the way Jesus sees people, we need to start seeing the image of God in people. The reality is, is it's, it's hard to see Imago Dei in others when we can't see Imago Dei in ourselves. When we look in the mirror and all we see is our past, our mistakes, our failures, our shortcomings, our reputation, what people say about us, it gets really cloudy and it gets hard to see the image of God in ourselves. We look in the mirror, we just see unworthy. We see not loved, we see not wanted. We see a failure. We see our job title. We see our bank account. 
the reality is, what we need to start seeing is Imago Dei. When you look in the mirror, the first thing you should see is that you were created in the image of God. You were loved so much by the creator of the universe that he decided to intentionally knit you in your mother's womb in his image. And yeah, we live in a broken world and there are broken parts of our life and yeah, we have a messy past and yeah, we've made mistakes and yeah, we're probably still gonna make mistakes but you know what the reality is? Is our creator created us in the image of God. That's the roots that I wanna live from. That's the roots. I don't want these rotten roots in my value system in my heart. I want to look at people. I want to look at myself in the image of God. That's the roots. And there are some people in this room right now. There are some people in this room right now that feel so unworthy, so unloved, so far from where God wants you to be. And I want to remind you today that before you were even breathing on this earth, God had a plan and a purpose for your life that's so beyond your understanding. God has a mission for you. God has an identity for you that's rooted in Imago Dei. An Imago Dei identity. Can you imagine the courage and the strength and the confidence that you can walk into your world with, that you can walk into your home with, into your workplace with, into your school with? Walk out into the community knowing that your identity, your name tag, man, I should have done that. Your name tag says Imago Dei, image of God. It'd be spectacular. Because when we start seeing ourselves in the image of God, we'll start seeing the image of God in others as well. So I want to do, I want us to stand up really quickly before we enter into this last, last song. And I want to offer up an opportunity for us to pray together. <laughs> because the reality is it's really easy to hear some guy fumble over his words up on a stage and walk out of here the same as when you walked in. But my hope for you is you'll hear a guy fumble over his words, but then you experience the power and the love of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit that you'll walk out of here empowered and equipped in a way that you've never even understood before. Because you, you were created in the image of God. You were not an accident. You were not a surprise to him. In fact, he has an intentionality for you. He has a purpose for you. He has a mission for you. You were created in his image. Well, we pray that you enjoyed the message today. We pray that it was challenging and that the Spirit has stirred something new in you today. Have a blessed week.